physical training, self-defense training, firearms training, situational awareness, and the warrior mindset. Welcome to the Condition One Podcast. This is a podcast. This world podcast. Welcome to the Condition One Podcast. This is a podcast where we'll be talking about being ready. We'll also be speaking to victim survivors of physical encounters, how they dealt with the aftermath physically, mentally, and spiritually. Welcome to the Condition One Podcast with me, your host, John Riddle. I'd like to thank our sponsor, the Crestwood Technology Group, CTG supplies the defense and aviation industries with critical parts and materials designed to keep fleets and systems operational, ready, and safe. Check out the Crestwood Technology Group at ctgnow.com. For those of you that are uh, listening to this uh, podcast, I'm talking to Greg Thompson, uh, and I'm going to give you some of his background because what we already started talking about is very interesting with his background as a, a designer, graphic designer, Industrial designer. Industrial designer, okay, and he makes combative, he made his own combatives gear after looking at many different styles that are out there. But let me give you a little background on Greg. Um, after September 11th in 2001, Greg was one of the small group of civilians asked to work as a federal defensive tactics and air marshal hand-to-hand instructor in Artesia, New Mexico. Greg is the creator of the SOC-P, which is an acronym for Special Operations Combatives Program which became a program of record on March 23rd of 2010. SOCP was the first officially des- designated combatives program for all United States Army Special Operations Forces and is now the standard program for fighting in full combat body armor across all services and some federal agencies. Greg created SOCP instructors at Special Forces Groups, the first group, third group, 5th Group, 7th Group, and 10th Group, Army Rangers, Range 37, which is Advanced Skills Battalion, Air Force Power Rescue, SEER, Marine Special Operations Command, MARSOC, Marine Force Recon, Navy Special Warfare, SEALs, and the Coast Guard Direct Action Teams, and many other special units. He also is currently training federal, state, and local law enforcement, such as the FBI, ATF, United States Marshal Service, Border Patrol, and several other key units within them. His background is that he's been training special operations units since 1998. In 2004, UFC legend Hoist Gracie gave out his first black belts to Greg and four other students at Greg's Mixed Martial Arts School, Team Rock. Greg has been training with Hoist since the early 90s. Team Rock is known for training some of the top no-holds-barred fighters on the East Coast. Tap Out Magazine has ranked Team Rock the number one MMA school in North Carolina. They have participated in many high-level competitions, some of which include Ultimate Fighter Championships, the UFC, the Ultimate Fighter, K1, HDNet, Rumble on the Rock, King of the Cage. Greg also a certified instructor crew in Muay Thai with black belts and other specific systems. Greg's other achievements are 2003 Naga World Champion, Advanced Division, Triangle Grappling, 
Guerrero's Gauntlet Superfight Championships, the 2000 Pan Am Silver Medalist, and Gracie National 200 to 210 pound champion. Uh, so Greg's been around the block a few times, um, and now he is uh, he's has the pleasure of working with our special operations guys as far as and and high end law enforcement people. And again, he develops uh, he has developed his own combative suit, so he's pretty much wrapped his his hands around the whole uh, organization there. So I want to welcome Greg to the show. Greg, thanks for coming on, man. Appreciate it. Hey, thanks for having me. You know, it's been a while. I think we just we mentioned uh, 2010 when I first met you mm -hmm. up at Fort Bragg at the combative section um, when I was up there with Redman, and that's when you were investigating the different suits uh, that were out there. And, uh, you know, and I'm, I'm sure because when I left there, I'm saying, you know, to myself, I'm saying this guy, his background, he, he's going to have his own suit. I knew you were going to do it. And, and it was just a matter of time, you know, uh, because of the special needs of the units that you teach. Right. So, um, I've worked in red man with red man gear, uh, on and teaching. And I was teaching their classes for a long period of time. And it's, it's got some good benefits to it. But for what you guys do, uh, especially with these high-end special operations guys, you're going to need something you can fight, you can roll, uh, and you can, like you said, you can, uh, with your suits, you can, you can uh, conceal things now, uh, which is huge. Uh, nobody else is doing that, right? Nobody else is doing that. I think that's fantastic. So a guy like you, as busy as you are, with training and running your personal life. Um, what is the first thing you do when you get up and you get out of bed in the morning? And what does your normal day look like? <laughs> I would, I would, it's got a lot of crazy stuff running through my head when you say that. Well, you know, um, normally I, I, I'm, I like my caffeine. So I've got to be, my, my first thing is I'm, I'm up making my prayer. You know, I travel a lot. I like good coffee. So, um, I, even when I when I travel, I don't I don't like the hotel coffee. I've gotten kind of spoiled, so I, I travel with my own coffee. I travel uh, with a, a a press. I heat nice. up my coffee in the morning. I press out my coffee. I don't want to wake up and run and be the guy trying to get to Starbucks before I got to get to class. I get up. Mm -hmm. Everything I have is is structured to where I'm 53 years old. I know what I like. I know what I don't like. Sure. And I set myself up with things that I like around me. I'm financially comfortable where I can, you know, get what I want and sure. I'm just going to do it that way. So I wake up, press out my coffee um, and get cleaned up depending on what I'm doing. Um, you know, go teach. If I'm not teaching, I'm usually getting up, having my coffee, going through my emails, trying to stay caught up on some business that I have going on. Um, you know, my company um, runs, you know, has a lot of military contracts. I've got, you know, three large contracts in Fort Bragg that I've been, you know, running and, and working with some since 98. And I've got six guys that work full time for me and they all have, you know, secret clearances. So I'm maintaining a whole bunch of stuff. So I have, you know, to deal with, there's so many government side things that you have to deal with mm -hmm. um, on that. You know, I basically have, um, I, I somebody asked me the other day and I thought about, it, I have, have five basic pillars that I'm playing with, you know, one, the, the government contracts that I have, right? Mm -hmm. So I talked about that, six guys. And I have um, my SOTP instructor courses and other courses that I teach 
right? That, you know, it hasn't been, it's not opened up to, to civilians. It's, it's just a federal and, and state military and have a two-week instructor course. So the list of, of, you know, the units that I trained that you mentioned earlier, those are all people that have sent people through my instructor course and have carried the knowledge back to those units right. and are, are keeping updated with the SOTP stuff. So that's a constant thing because the guys in the military are usually only there for two or three years. They leave and then I have to train somebody else. Mm -hmm. And then every two years they have to come back and AI or research to stay updated. If they're in a position to teach, I will let them AI for free because it's not about me making money off of them. I've got to make sure that if you're teaching, you're staying up to date because SOTP is a breathing, growing program based on the overall census of the needs of the of that particular end user. And sometimes I'll, there's your core movements that we evolve. And then I may steer a little bit to the left or right if you're uh, hostage rescue or whatever your mission may be, more low visibility, we may steer it a little bit that direction for the SOTP Mm -hmm. uh courses and then i do low vis courses and then custom courses as well so that's another thing that, that keeps me traveling i'm booked up now till the end of february okay. because i can't be gone all the time i'm usually i travel two weeks out of the month max and then i've got to be at least a week in fort bragg juggling that stuff so that's two pillars and i have my my gym so mm -hmm. team rock fayetteville i have you know 200 over 230 students there you know Set seven to eight black belts floating in there all the time, brown belts. Uh, Fayetteville's the highest concentration of soldiers in the world. Right. So the testosterone floating around is is big, but everybody's a family there. You know what I mean? If somebody comes in and he's the tough guy trying to beat somebody up, I got I got a lot of tough guys. So we'll, yeah. you know, you have to be nice to the white belts. Mm -hmm. And if you're a dick, you're gonna get beat up by my black belts and probably want to leave. So it, it stays structured, but I have to have to, you know, show up there. Then I have my products, you know, I have my uh, my impact suit that I, we were talking about with, you know, face recognition on the front, hidden mm -hmm. weapons, weapons in the back. So when you snap somebody down, you can it'll change the way the unit flows through there based on finding weapons on somebody who's not even fighting you. Um, and this is lessons learned by us creating scenarios and trying to, to take them to the next level. So my combat cubes, you know. Uh, combat cubes are like giant Legos right. that you fight around and mm -hmm. you can create any environment. You, you know, years ago, we, at the units that I'm with had unlimited funding. We could buy whatever furniture we wanted to fight with, but it was flimsy. A bed could only be a bed. A couch was only a couch. A table was a table. Mm -hmm. And it was a hazard because even if you fell on some of the flimsy stuff, it would disappear. So I said, hey, we just need blocks. So I just had somebody make us some blocks. And then it was that was in 2009. Mm -hmm. And then now it's a successful company for me um, selling these blocks and teaching people how to create scenarios. And it's not that I woke up and go, hey, I want to design this cube and put foam and stuff around it. It was there was a necessity. To, you know, when I from coming from a design background, I, if I see a need. And the need is big enough that it's worth my time to stop what I'm doing and research it and build it and find a source for it. Then, then I've already ran it through its paces and know it's going to be a, somewhat of a success before I do it. The cubes are still one of the most neglected things out there. If you think about how much a cage and MMA change fighting, right? Mm -hmm. If you look at the tactics that were done 20 years ago, people were, were, trying to stay away from the cage. Now everybody's moving to the cage to get up and fight. And there's a whole nother art. Right. UFC, the only 
art that ever dealt with fighting against a flat object was the UFC, right? Mm -hmm. Because there wasn't a system like that. You know, you had sumo where you might would drive somebody out of a circle, but pinning somebody and developing techniques from there. When I imagine this, imagine now there's a cube and walls and cubes around you like furniture you have to fight around. It changes the whole dynamics of what you're doing and your strengths and weaknesses and how you're going to attack that person. Mm -hmm. And it makes it a lot easier if you know this, you know, if you don't know how to fight around these objects, you know, they can be used for you or against you. Right. And more often than not, you're just left up to whatever happens. It's just a toss up. But if you know where to stand and how to spin or redirect and pin people over objects or escape when you're driven over an object, um, it's a whole nother level. So products are there are, are there and have pads that go on my right on the rifles. You know, mm -hmm. I've always, you know, people, it's always funny when people go, Hey, we do real world military combatants. Right. And I say military, like, okay, tell me when a soldier's not going to have his rifle attached to him. Exactly. Very, very you know, very rare. it's, it's a, it's a rarity. That means mm -hmm. that he, he, he's either doing a, some low vis mission or he's at a, he's not on a, on a normal mission. Right. In which we do courses for that. So when we do all of our techniques, the rifle needs to be attached to you. Now, if this rifle doesn't have pads over it, it'll fly up and hit you in the mouth. It'll damage your role players, damage your equipment, mm -hmm. you know, and we start getting tackled over the cubes with the rifle strapped to you. It has to be, it needs to be padded. If not, then you're going to hurt your guys. If you start hurting your guys in combatives, your program will die. You will die as an instructor. So it's always baffled me when, when you say, Hey, we, we do real, really. Okay. And then you look, watch them train and they're doing what I love to do, jujitsu, MMA, and there's nothing wrong with that. Mm -hmm. But, you know, when you get this much time to train a guy in a unit, you got to go straight to their answers. You know what I mean? And then reverse engineer it backwards to other foundational stuff, because in a sense, define foundational training, what is foundational? And then, and we, we're used to saying, well, foundational training is your jujitsu, your bikes and your wrestling. You, these these other things because we learned it that way but and i still say that because people recognize that but the truth of it is this your foundational stuff is defined by the needs of the end user right exactly. what is your Agreed. task what yeah. are you trying to do that becomes your first grade you know mm -hmm. so whatever it takes for you to win the scenario that we're going to create based on what you may run into or have run into those are your first grade and then after that, then you can almost say for a soldier that jujitsu and MMA can almost be looked at as advanced training because you were, you're empty handed. Mm -hmm. But there's also the side of saying, hey, look, if I'm going to teach proper spinning and redirecting, it's obviously easier to do it without all the equipment. So you, you pick the techniques from the foundational foundational stuff that link to that first grade that you're creating for them do it slick, give credit to wrestling, jujitsu, wherever it comes from, but now put your gear on and say, this is our first grade. This is your second grade. Now, do you now, find, do you uh -huh, find that, do you find that when you, when you're going slick, okay, and you're down on the ground grappling and then you have them put a kit on, do you as the instructor have to, uh, adjust things for them? because of kit yeah and this this is this is where experience as an instructor dealing with this helps mm -hmm. because i will i will teach certain techniques or add to a technique even when they're slick because i'll say hey 
you know, you can, you can side mount escape and bring your knee through this way. But when you put shoes on and boots on, it's going to get caught. So now you need to add the other foot and do this. So your shoe will slip through better. There you go. Um, Mm -hmm. You shrimp. Well, you may shrimp and hit a wall. You still need to know how to shrimp. Okay. Now you're going to have to shrimp up or over this object. So then it'll change. So what happens is when I give them there and even do this, I'm I'm programmed to even do this in my jujitsu class. So if a guy shows up to my, you know, 530 basic class and I happen to be in town that month teaching, when I teach basic jujitsu in a gi, I will reference force multipliers, weapons, wall. I'm showing you this. This way it works perfect on the mat, but it also fills these gaps. So guess what? My guys, Team Rock and, and under under Horse Gracie Network, whatever, I define what that white belt learns first. And if I see a linkage to a technique that will work in there rolling with everybody slick, just Imano Imano, and it works when he's got a duty belt on or when he's fighting over other stuff, I will start with that first. Why? Because I, I train, I, I work with soldiers all the, all the time. That's what, you know, after 9-11, when I went back to work with one of the units, I was in a mat room, at, you know, all day. That was my job. Guys would come down and go, Greg, I want to do jujitsu or I'll set up certain classes during the day and then I'm hanging out or Greg, go put on an impact suit. We're, this is what we're going to create. Get a truck, go to this con- sniper condo. This is how you're going to be. And I was the bad guy. Mm-hmm. And by being a black belt in jujitsu and, and, and MMA and striking and being a bad guy, you see what it takes for them to beat you at the skill level that they're at. You know what I mean? Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you know, what's going to translate. So, when I have them for the very first time, I teach them with all these layers in mind in case they go that direction. But I still want them to be able to defend themselves when they just are rolling Imano Imano, you know what I mean, one-on-one. Because right. some of those techniques, you'll have them do all the reps for, don't translate into that one-on-one as well, but they're better the other way. So you, you, you find the ones to start off with over time, and then you, you show modifications for it. Um, and, and, and there, there's ways to do it and teach even ways. I teach my, my Kimura lots or Americanas. I'll, I'll talk about trapping the thumb and, and manipulating here mm-hmm. and then relating that to better control of the elbow. But if he has a knife in his hand, I, it's hard for him to pass it. I can manipulate it better now and I can punch a knife into him from the Kimura lock wow. and he he'll now want to unlock. He'll now want to let go of it. Why? Because I'm going to slowly bring it into his, his, uh, his, his liver, his kidney, you know, mm-hmm. um, his spleen, whatever. And he's going to feel that knife sliding in his gut. And I'm going to tell him, let go of it. And I'll slay and then he'll let go of it. I don't need to do a lot of fancy stuff. I'm going to control that limb or break his arm. Right. But it's going to come from, from different modifications that you'll see when you've been training long enough where there are these links between the two. The problem of it is it's hard for somebody that just did MMA and jujitsu and, and I'm not that, and, and they could be way better practitioners than I am to make that link to having 15, 20 years of creating scenarios and watching guys fight in full kit as a pack, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And, and try to link that together. And um, that's, what's kind of helped the, the site P program grow so much because I don't go in there and undermine what we call foundational training. I say, Hey, look, when, when you leave me and get through this course, find a good MMA gym, find a good jujitsu gym and train, but know how to do it in a way that's going to help you know that all your answers 
isn't there, but it's a training aid, just like going to an IPSC competition, right? Mm -hmm. Just because you're an IPSC world champion doesn't mean you should be kicking in that door. Right. You know, you, he may not know anything about tactics or room clearing. He's going to mm -hmm. get killed, right. right? But you could train him. He ha understands how to how to work his weapon system at a high, high level. So now he just has to build a foundation for this and then he could excel, gotcha. you know, and that's the same thing. We try to burn it from both ends for, for the school side, you know, mm -hmm. um, and, and that's kind of where, where I fall in, and have evolved into because I just evolve into where I see problems, you know what I mean? Sure. And what I'm passionate about, where, where's, what am I passionate about and where's their problems? And I wanted to go that way, you know, um, early days of UFC, I, I wanted to, to, to thought about fighting. I thought about, man, I want to be that. I want to be a coach. I want to train fighters. Mm -hmm. And then 9-11, you know, came in and I went to work with the air marshals. Some of the guys at the unit I was with uh, won the contract to train the air marshals as the divisors. So I was brought in there, you know, when they brought me and they, they brought in a bunch of different martial artists and some were, were told to leave and then some were told to stay. And then the second phase of that, actually Fletzy handpicked a bunch of guys. We showed up one day and it was like, Hey, they were picking a kickball team. We'll take this guy, this guy and Greg, everybody else can leave. And they made us federal defensive tactics instructors. Nice. And I wasn't even a federal agent, but by learning all this stuff and knowing, Hey, you know what? People need to learn how to put on a pair of handcuffs. People need to know how to, to handle people that are not listening, but not fighting because that's where the fight happens. Majority of the fights for law enforcement is, you know, isn't always that guy throwing up his hands because they they have time enough to move to another force multiplier. It's when they go to lay hands on that guy and he's acting compliant. And then he goes, what I call eight crazy, Yeah. not just a tossing, but it's all out yep. and they're not trained for that. And then they're also not trained for the support element, which means that second officer needs to know how to come in and help. Right. Right. So Communication. When we do my law enforcement course, I've recognized that. And we'll, when we teach our cuffing and, and, and prisoner hand or, or control, it links to the fight. But a good 30% of what we teach is how does that support element help properly to not lose control of the guy? If he's, if he's reaching for a gun, if he's breaking contact, is he way more physical and, and more of an athlete than both of us? And how are you going to deal with that guy? How do you wear him out? Mm -hmm. You know, is it scooping up a leg for the wheelbarrow and just holding him? Don't let him do anything because this tank will do this. After about 20, 30 seconds of fighting all out, he'll be this. Right. So you hold him. Because if if why he's going eight crazy, you try to better your position, you may lose him. So you just say, I'm just gonna hold him here, rest for a second, control him, let him gas, and then and then take control of the situation. But these are lessons learned, you know. Um, but I don't I don't want to get off, off topic with, with with where we're going, but there's so many layers to so many things that, mm -hmm. that people don't know. So when you start teaching jujitsu, I, I can't help but interject this stuff. Sometimes my guys that are in the mat room, they, they're ready for a tournament. It could be a an MMA fight. It could be, you know, I tell my guys do judo, jujitsu, wrestling, boxing, whatever it is you want, but I'll show them to teach a class and I start injecting this stuff in there, you know? Sure. Even when I do basic self-defense, you know, I did a course a while, this was, you know, when I ended up adding in this into the lesson plan, I even, it was, you know, Tim Kennedy was with me for four and a half years when he was in Fort Bragg. So he would, he would show up and train every night. Um, great, great guy to have around, you know, great role model for a lot of my younger guys too, to have in there a great mindset. Um, and, and he would be in there. And then um, Jason Plus is one of my great, great fighters. He runs 
uh, first special forces stuff. But, uh, you know, these were really top-notch fighters. And I'd go in there in the first day, and I, I, in jiu-jitsu, I'd start with a self-defense technique or a takedown because too much time was spent on the ground. And I did this basic collar grab. Like, hey, guy grabs your collar, you're here, you, and then you move to these other spots if it starts to happen. And then you could see uh, half the class. There. Now, you got to remember this is Fort Bragg. You know, tough, a lot of tough guys and all these tough guys. God, I hate it when Greg teaches this self-defense stuff. This gets on my nerves. I just want to do a cool technique. I just want to do a fighting technique. And I, and I said, okay, why, why does Tim Kennedy or Jason Palacios need to know this collar grab? We know what, well, he could do the collar grab and he could elbow him across the face. He could do this. And it all linked to them doing that and then beating the guy up. And I said, no, well, maybe, but that's not what I'm getting to. I said, imagine this. Imagine you're out and a, an old man or a drunk female comes up and grabs your shirt really tight. Mm-hmm. And all you ever trained was smash, smash, smash. And you can't break that old guy's grip. He's strong. He's got old man grip, mm-hmm. right? Or that female, she's got you real tight. And now you're tussling, leaving yourself vulnerable because – you, you, you may not thump him, and if you punch that old man or elbow him or hit that female, you know, you may win that battle, but you're probably going to go to jail. So here's a method to do that, but even if they do strike, then this is what you can link it to, this escalation of force. Mm-hmm. So I'm showing you this as escalation of force, but if you're that 100-pound female and this 200-pound guy grabs you, now you smash him across the face. Mm-hmm. You break it. You hit him with the elbow. You strike. You do whatever you need to do. This is for the tough guys so they don't go to jail. And then you can just see that whole mindset start to switch, you know. And even had a, had a soldier that was traveling abroad, and, and um, he was there doing some, uh, some surveillance stuff. And um, so, uh, he went to a pharmacy to pick up some medicine for somebody that was sick in this country. And uh, the guy was, was leaning across the counter cussing out the, the pharmacist, and he grabbed her by her shirt. And uh, he walks in. And he's like, "Man, you know what? Should I enter? I don't want to draw any attention to myself. Sure. You know, I'm um, I'm just a uh, uh, you know um, I think he was there as an engineer or whatever. Right. And but he felt like he needed to do something, so he kind of touched the guy on the back and kind of got between him and the counter. And was telling the old guy to calm down. The old guy reaches up, and grabs him by his shirt, and starts to blade. He goes, "I I was afraid he was going to swing at me because then I was going to have to hurt this old man. I didn't want to draw any. So he reached up and he grabs his wrist and twisted it." And broke the guy halfway down on, on a knee where he almost went down. He let him go, and the old guy backed up and looked at him, and then walked out. And he was like, "Cool, yeah. you know." He I got him off him, and then he looked up and he saw there's a camera up oh. there. So he was like, "Oh shit!" Yeah. So if all we ever did was teach combatives to where it's it's fighting for your life, death con nine. You know what I mean? Right. You know, hey, there's a place for it. If you're training assaulters to come in hard, that's going to be our first grade. Mm-hmm. And you don't see a lot of wrist escapes in SOTP, right. but you might see it in some of my low-vis course, you know, um, depending on what's going on. I may say, hey, wh- what, what, are your, what is your end user running into? Okay, well, because I have feedback from, for 20 years from people doing some similar jobs of yours all over the world, you know, I know the stories. The stories you won't see out on social media. Right. You won't see the stories out in the news. I won't really go into detail with the stories. Mm-hmm. I'll leave it kind of glazed over like that. But those real world stories that we're getting feedback from all these instructors mm-hmm. shape our training. And that guy that's told, go do some combative so you can defend yourself and feel good about yourself. 
doesn't know any of this stuff. Right. You sure. know, somebody just sent him there. And so when I, when I, you know, the reason why SOC P isn't open up to the public is because the POI doesn't match what the public needs. It doesn't mean, and even for regular army, you know, isn't because it's SOC P so special. SOC P is designed for special operations needs. It's, it's not this magical stuff in there. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, it might be to some people, but that bait, you know, that basic soldier that's a cook, you know, he doesn't know tactics so very well. He may know to go in and go right or go left, but when we do when we go into real scenarios, it becomes a tactical equation where it's fighting and then tactics merging together. Mm-hmm. So if he doesn't understand that when he shows up to me, I can't give it to him. I'm not qualified to give anybody their tactics. Right. I can I can tell you a bunch of tactics. But yours are gonna. Everybody's gonna be different yep. from county to county, state to state. Mm-hmm. So all these things change. So um, that's why a lot of the SOC P stuff isn't isn't for civilians. Now, if I were to go do a civilian course, I would say, hey, this is me from SOC P, but this course is something else. Right. You know what I mean? Sure. And, sure. and then define it as, as such, and that's where it gets things. You know, people people get confused. You know, uh, I don't think a civilian. If they went through SOTP, he would get a lot about the clinch work and some of the fighting for tools. But the other part would go really outside. Of, I want to say over their head, outside of their range of knowledge. Sure. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, uh, and then was born the SOTP dagger. Right. Yes. Okay. I've, so, I've got two of them. Uh, <laughs> and I just saw And I just saw your video uh, in the pool the yeah, other day. Yeah. You like right. that? Yeah. Actually, I ordered paracord. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, and, and what I like to even use uh, is um, I'll do the Kev. I like Kevlar cord. You can that, buy Kevlar shoelaces. Yes. What's that's what I got. Kevlar is I can saw through anything that's rubber. So the Kevlar, what the Kevlar does too is when you saw through stuff, you know, it gets it really hot and the Kevlar doesn't melt. It's at a, it melts at a higher temperature mm-hmm. than, than your plastic and a lot of stuff. So you can saw through stuff. It'll melt through stuff. So any flex cuffs or whatever you have, you could take that and create hoops. Even if you're cuffed behind your back, uh-huh. loop it through and then scissor it with your legs and saw saw through stuff. Yeah, if that's... you're flexible enough, you know a lot of this stuff is great, great escape and evade. But are you flexible enough to do exactly. it? Exactly. Yeah. It's still good to have if if you have a choice. It really, you know, five fifty cord works good too. Mm-hmm. But I've been running that way for a while, and you know a lot of that's contributed to the sheath design, and that's where right. you know so many people over the years really you know um, want to change the sheath. And oh, Greg, you know if it why have it sheathed? Why don't you leave it sheathed here because you can grab it faster? And I go no. And sometimes I really, for years, I never really went into that much detail on it. I glazed over it. Why? Because I knew people when they started realizing there'd be a lot of more knockoffs. You know, when the dagger first, when I first designed it in '09, um, uh, it was it bounced around a lot. Believe it or not, I actually started years earlier. And I started seeing when I worked with my students, I tell them, hey, whatever knife you carry, bring it to class, have a trainer or a knife like it, take the edge off, and we're going to fight to get to the knife in kit when you get trapped. And I had this this high-speed student, you know, smarter than me, more athletic. I mean, a lot of these guys are just phenomenal. I mean, you teach them something, they have it like that. And I remember the, the student looked at me because I'd say, hey, you're on your back. You need to create space. Get your knife out. Stab him. Push him off. Get to your weapon system. Shoot him or get to your feet. Whatever you need to deal with. Look for that, his support element that might be coming. You may stab him and 
shoot the other other bad guy, the second bad guy coming before you even get up or deal with that guy. And we would go through these drills all the time. Then one day the student looked at me, you know, he had a traditional knife, you know, had a handle like this, Kydex. And he goes, you know, do I resheath it? Do I leave it in him? Do I throw it down? I need to, I need to get to my weapon system. And I was like, hmm. that that's a problem. Sure. And I also noticed by running it through its pace is that as role players and they would role play with each other, they wouldn't necessarily try to be a, a, a dick role player, a turd role player, but you would see these huge handles, right? Sticking up. Let me get a red one here. You, they would see these handles sticking up mm -hmm. and then everybody would just grab it. And then you could be stabbed with your own knife. Now you're carrying a knife on your kid that I can just, just Kydex. I just grab it, pull it. And sure. I shank you with your own knife. Mm -hmm. You know, what, what are you going to do there? He wrapped up your long gun, grabbed your knife and start stabbing you. Right. Okay. So, so how, how, when you develop this, uh, I'm sure there was a reason why, okay. Being in, in the special operations community, um, when you put this down on paper, the very first, how did you, I mean, how did it come about? Well, th this is what happened. I actually evolved this and I was running through this design process. I left the body. I designed this thing. It was called, it was called a rail, rail attached to the rail guard. Uh -huh. Right. And it was called the, I named it the rail tool. I actually had a 3D print made of it. And it would, it was on the front and you would peel it off and you'd stab whether you could clear malfunctions and it would sit on the front of the, of the grip. And everybody saw it like, oh, Greg, that's cool. Yeah. That's cool. And I'm like, okay, I got a great idea. Spent a grand to have this 3D print of it. This was, this was over 15, 17 years ago. And then um, when I had it, I asked one of the operators, I said, hey, you know, so I know this from design school. I looked at them and go, okay, what, what would you pay for it? Okay, would you put it on your rifle? And, and I'm just checking the box and stuff because I thought for sure. And he looked at me and he goes, no, nah, I like it, but I wouldn't put it. Why would you put it on your rifle? I've got all my optics right there. you know. And then I realized when we were testing it that when you start fighting, you, your hand bases when you get tackled over stuff. And now you're having to go back to this object. And I'm like, uh, you know, what was I thinking? You know what I mean? But when it, in my mind, when it left that, it came back to the body. And I wasn't thinking about it as a knife. I was thinking about it as a tool. Right. And in doing that, I forget, I've, I disregarded the, the thought process of what a sheath is. I disregarded what I knew of what a knife should be. I wanted to create something that you could hide and not see, but wasn't a locking mechanism to fail. Because some, some of the locking mechanisms that we've seen, a grain of sand can get in there and foul your own deployment, right? Mm -hmm. So I didn't really want and I wanted to keep it simple. So it would hide behind everything, fit in the center of your chest right right where you're in between your plate carry here mm -hmm. a lot of units now you see them now they, the students will show up like this so wherever you get tied you can pin your handgun down this is scooping out inside outside collar tie up touch the tonsils stir the pop push them off long gun comes back up or handguns so you can use it as a support platform or the sh or, or the shooting hand so there's no disconnect between your use of force with your hands to getting to the knife to getting to the to the gun i tell them use the steel to get to the lead when we do our edge weapon stuff, it's not that I'm training to ambush you or duel you with a knife. Very few knife videos that I have are that way. This is all about creating space. Plus, with this, I can, I don't, I'm not going to stop at the blade here. I can plunge it all the way through to the ring, corkscrew it, and bring it back out. So now it's six and a half inch deep. Even if I go, in, so if I go into the subclavian here, there's no bone for it to hit. Mm -hmm. And when I rotate it over like that, it opens that up, and it's a quick bleed out there, too. 
So any of these movements are just that and getting back to your tools. So we integrated that into the Sachi curriculum because how I can't train you good enough for everybody. You know, I'm not good enough for everybody. Who's grabbing me? Randy Couture, you know, in his prime, mm-hmm. you know, Greg, do your sock P techniques. Good, good luck. You better stab him in the throat and shoot him quick and hope there's not another one just like him coming. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Um, because what we do is not a game. It's, I'm not, I'm not trying to game anything. Right. You know, when you get friends die and friends that get hurt, um, you're like, okay, I don't really care what the answer is, but we need to find it. And the race is to the answer. It's not about fooling anybody. And if I find a better way, then I go, I go that route. So the dagger became that. Now, when I first pushed this out, guys like this shape was not recognized as a combative knife. In 09, 010, if you show this, they're like, Greg, what are you doing with a throwing knife on your kid? What the, the perception of this with a ring and a skeletonized handle, you saw some crambits that were curved with a ring, but they right. still had a handle, mm-hmm. you know? And they're like, what are you doing with that? Oh, that's a gimmick. And all these com- all these competitors would say stuff that had competitive. I just ignored them. And I just did my class. You know why I ignored them? Because once they realized what this is doing, what are they going to do? They're going to start trying to copy it, which now there's so many knockoffs and so many combative knives that have the sock P, what they, what they deem it now. And as I see in some of the writings, they say sock P, S-O-C-P style dagger. Style. Is what they're starting to say. <laughs> and, and, and I laugh. I say, okay, I'll take that. You know what I mean? Because at least you're giving credit for me as the designer you know, I, mean, I may not be making financial gain off of it, but I do like professional credit sure. for that concept yeah. without people still stealing. I mean, it's made in China. Now you can get knockoffs with my name on it. It's crazy. But wow. it's it's somewhat flattering. You know, the evolution of that, too. We have the mini that's out now has a leather back plate, which you can get the black plate if you're doing the low this or that and digging you. The newer mini that's coming out, this is sharpened on both sides. It's only sharpened on one side. Okay. How so long is that blade? How long is that blade? That's a two inch, two inch blade. Okay. Two inch. I, I tell my wife that's really four inches. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just kidding. But the the other knives that we have too is uh is the folder, you know. So we have larger blades here with the folder, and this was yeah. designed to be more low vis. So I had guys say, Greg, I love the dagger. I, I'm going to these meetings and stuff, but this is my, my primary weapon system. I may have time to deploy with it, or they may end up having two, two knives. And um, so with this, it's thin as four and a half inch D2 steel, which D2 steel is used to cut other metals. I was given free reign with Benchmade. Okay. I can make a switchblade. I could have done whatever I wanted. I wanted lightweight, as thin as it could possibly be, right? And um, I, wanted to, uh, I wanted to be able to open it with my thumb mm-hmm. because – I didn't want to be in where I'm doing a preemptive deployment behind my back or underneath my arm and go, Hey man, I don't want to fight, you know? Right. And then you hear this click, you yeah. know what I mean? It's like, Nope, I want to be able to open this thing up. And this is some of the stuff we worked with the air marshals. Cause back then we had the spider coat uh, indoors and delicas we were playing around with and fighting on air on aircraft. And um, even with that, I remember students saying, Hey Greg, where should I put the clip? Should I put the clip at the hinge point or should I put it, you know, tip what we call, if it, the, the clip is here, it's called tip, tip down. down. Mm-hmm. Here's called tip up. 
you know, which, which is which or right or left side, you know, and I looked at him and I thought, you know, that's a good question. Let me think about it because I like that. I like thinking about stuff. So I ran it through all the paces. And what I realized is if you have a longer blade and I have to reach in like this, I'm still not getting to the deployment very well, which that's not a big deal. You can choke up. The problem lies when you do a cross draw, support hand draw with a knife. If you have it tip up and you do the cross draw, you're now fumbling with it to move it to here to click it and then the, deploy it, right? It becomes hard. If you have it tipped down, you doing appendix carry, you can reach over, roll it to either side and deploy it just as easy with either hand and not fumble and fight with a knife. Because I also saw this when I, and I started running it through its paces with my students. I'd have them start in the half guard. The guy on bottom in the half guard had a, he could hide his training knife anywhere he wanted to when it was a folder. Mm -hmm. And anytime during the fight, you can get to that knife. The person has to act accordingly when you stab him. He's not going to stop, but he has to move and, and, and create space because the knife's out. And here the, and these guys have been opening up knives since they were, you know, probably 10 or 11 years old with, with one hand. You'll, every class, you'd see two or three of them skipping across the map. And I would watch and see why. And you would see it during the deployment of having to reposition it in their hand and it getting bumped and knocked out. Mm -hmm. So the evolution of this, you know, I wanted to have it adjusted at these points. Plus, this clip is short, so I can hide it behind my belt. So if I'm doing appendix carry, I don't want it slipping and then sticking out underneath my belt with my shirt bloused over. And I want my belt strapped to hide, you know, yeah. hide it, okay. right? Mm -hmm. And then I can cross strap, cross grab. Now, there's dimples on it, too. So these dimples allow me have a reference point because even when I stab, when I stab here, I'm not relying on the, the guard to stop the knife. I do, I teach what's called a palm press. So it's base of my thumb. So whatever hits at the palm ah, is catching okay. it here. So okay. I leave a little bit of a meat there. So I don't have to rely on it. So even if I sharpen a stick on the ground, or a piece of metal, I know how to stab somebody. Even if you hit bone, it's not messing you up. Right. You know, and mm -hmm. you may put your thumb around. It may not, but the dimples reference that. But also if I'm going to do a gravity feed, right, forward grip, a reverse grip, it referenced the pivot point where it's actually slick here and rough here, okay. right? So you can move it and rotate it in your hand a lot quicker under stress and then change the position. Also, as a car by tip here for breaking glass, make sure that if you are breaking glass and guys in law enforcement don't know if they broke glass before, mm -hmm. there's a lot of things that said, oh, this is a glass breaker, but it's just metal. You can walk up to glass with a little piece of metal and hit it and it not break. Right. And, yeah. and I promise you, you'll be surprised how tough glass, but if it's a carbide tip, it's such a hard metal, you can just tap glass and it's going to shatter, yeah. mm -hmm. right? So there's a carbide tip here, but I also can use this to hammer fist sure. and a fist load. Since it's so thin, I can gain different leverage with that. So it became kind of the my ultimate self-defense, you know, blade to carry if you want a larger tool. Um, so now, is that on your website? It's um, not on my, you got to go to Benchmade, but Benchmade is sold out of, of everything. They can't keep up with production. So Amazon, um, uh, Smoky Mountain Knives, um, it, military, um, ADS could be a good place to go. Benchmade, it's, you, if you go to them right now, you, you they'll say it's um, on, on back order. So e even sometimes I tell guys, hey, you might be better off going to Amazon. For the military units, if they need a large purchase, 
hit ADS probably is going to be your best bet because Benchmade told ADS, hey, look, we're behind on this stuff. You may w- we'll sell you a, a bunch of them and you can store them and then, and then resell it uh, to the guys. I've been having to buy them in bulk. Like I've got a hundred and some knives coming every so many months for my courses because in my course I give out, depending on the course, I give the students knives and trainers mm-hmm. um, as well. But I haven't placed myself, even though I sell equipment, placed myself in a position to actually sell my knives, which I'm go. probably going to have to. Um, but really with Benchmade, they, uh, in another year or six months, they should have a lot of the production caught up mm-hmm. to where you could call them direct right now. They just exploded with all their knives and then, uh, trying to keep up with this sock P brand stuff has been really hard for them to, uh, to do. But, uh, we do also have another knife coming out with them as well. It'll be a shot show in January and then it'll be for sale in March or April. It's a larger fixed blade designed to be more of a combative knife for the regular soldier. It's a six and a half inch blade. And I really originally designed it to have a bayonet attachment to it as well. Mm -hmm. Um, System, but it's not going to be rolled out yet. It'll be a year or so before that comes out primarily because I'm waiting to see when's the contract for the military. You know, their chain, the army uh, has a contract for new rifles so the uh, standard AR platform, they're going to um, change that a little bit. So it's, it's going to have a rail system that runs all the way down it. And it, right now, the the one that's probably going to rent the wind doesn't have a bayonet, a traditional bayonet attachment on it. Mm-hmm. Uh, it wasn't in the requirements for it, you know. So that'll be interesting to see how that goes down. So I've got a lot of changes for that. But the knife itself will look like a normal knife, and then it'll fix to something else. And okay. For, for the guys to go, hey, what do you need a bayonet for? That's like that's so outdated, man. You know, mm-hmm. hey, everything moves in, cir- in, in a circle. Yeah. And when you start dealing with crowd control overseas as a military unit and you start dealing with different stuff, having that bayonet on there is a whole nother thing. You start moving through caves and tunnels and things where you can't get a good through and through shot. You know, mm-hmm. you're, you're going to need another system. Does it? Is it going to be as relevant as it was in the past? not not utilized in the same way but it trust me i've done my homework and uh and it's still needed the marine corps never left the big army knows it two years ago they uh that for 10 years they took bayonet training out they added it back in two years ago um because everybody's getting back to their old mission set you know with the way things have been winding down Gotcha. Okay. So very that cool. might be more information than you needed. You know? No, no, no. It's um, it's very interesting, and uh, I think uh, people need to know, you know, what you're doing, uh, who you are, what you're doing out there. So, uh, it's. Is there anything in the future where you may teach something to civilians? Yeah, I mean, if I, a part of me would would like to do more like that. This is this is the the way that I'm kind of sitting is. One, it has a lot to do with schedule. Right. Two, it has to do with it can't be called SOT P in any way, but it could be Greg Thompson teaching this, and and this is my background as a SOT P instructor. So mm-hmm. I don't undermine that. But the the hard thing of it is, and where I fall short is certain techniques that I would want to teach them. I don't want to show it on YouTube. I might would show it to a class, but there are certain methodologies that we figured out that it's not it's part technique part methodology that is would work really well Mm -hmm. and um i want to give it to a lot of civilians in certain courses 
but I don't want to lose the respect of the units that I have. And what a lot of people don't understand is there's a lot of guys, you know, showing stuff on Instagram and they're showing great stuff. Some were well, some good, some bad, some of it muddies the waters, but there's a lot of, there's a lot of newer guys out there doing really good stuff. And, mm. and I, I would tell some civilians go train with that guy. He, he will, he will get you there. You know what okay. I mean? Yeah. Some other guys may, may not, you know, they may muddy the waters and confuse you. Um, and for me, looking at it from a, even if I look at it from a financial standpoint, it would hurt my, my government and military stuff if I'm out there too much. Gotcha. And, and now granted, there's a lot of guys that have gotten their foot in the door at certain units by way of their social media and their marketing. But what they don't understand is this. They're usually the guy they bring in for three days or two days to see what he's got. And it's a team of maybe, 10 guys there because one guy on the team wanted to bring him in and they funded it. It's not that whole unit. You know what I mean? Right. Mm -hmm. And then that guy leaves, you know, I've been vetting guys like that for 20 years. I'm the guy that go, Greg, we like this guy, go vet him. I would fly somewhere, train with a guy and they wouldn't even know what unit I was with. I just showed up there. Now, now I don't do that, but I did that from 2003 to about 2008 uh, you know, travel around and vetting guys to bring in to certain places because, you know, you, you, you need to know who you're bringing in and, and, and putting in front of guys because you don't want to waste their time, you know. And then when you do bring guys in, when they leave, you have to translate it to the student. It's not that you show that student and now they master. No, you have to be able to teach that back to the student. So when you have a subject matter expert there and they bring in outside instructors, you have to be able to integrate that. It's not that that student's going to walk away with it in two days. He's got to review it, and then you have to vet it. You have to take whatever they give you and run it through the paces of what that guy's going to do, not not what grandma's going to do coming out of the 7-Eleven that works real good, which is good for her, right. but this guy mm-hmm. and how he's going to do it. And then when it gets vetted, some of it works, and some of it can be good techniques, but you don't have enough time to train it. doesn't work with, with whatever they're doing. But that student that's an awesome operator, smart guy doesn't have time enough to study all of these different attributes that that are coming through but i I don't want to over talk it you know what i mean but um for me i've I've bounced back and forth uh with that but i decided hey i'm i'm gonna just stay in my lane right now Mm -hmm. and then um i might would do some stuff here there depending on what was going on um i have had um some people asked me to do like an edge weapon course for the daggers. So just showing how the dagger would relate to conceal carry and sure. set up some stuff. Mm-hmm. There. And I thought that was pretty interesting. So that way I'm just doing it, making it more of an edge weapon defensive course, as opposed to me getting lured in the, in the teaching certain things that, that may not, you know, be good to show, you know, Understand. that makes sense. No, it does. It makes, it makes a lot of sense. That's perfect. All right, man. Uh, you gave us a lot of information today, and uh, I appreciate you coming on. Usually at this point in time, I would say, Greg, tell me how if uh, uh, people want to reach out to you for training, <laughs> you know, but uh, the military knows where to get you. The, uh, yeah, yeah. The, I mean, if uh, they want to look at more information, it's um, socp.info if they want to come and check it out. And then I do have an Instagram where I just throw stuff up there, right. you know, mm-hmm. SOCP underscore solution. So they can come and check it out and see okay. what we're doing. The stuff I put up there may or may not help them, but it's, it's, you know, I, and this is the other dilemma. I'm sort of 
playing with it because of my products and the things that I'm developing. I, I need to be a little bit more out there with my impact suit. So I try to market it that way. Um, so there's a little bit of, hey, you know what? I need to get out there more for my products and my sponsorship with Benchmade, Vertex and stuff. But then there's the this saying, hey, am I going to do a, a course and open it up to all civilians? You know, probably not going to happen. Will I get on a, a podcast to show something that's, you know, here, there? I, and I'll, I'll may throw up some stuff on my Instagram site, a technique that mm -hmm. links to jujitsu and some other stuff at some point. But it's just these open, open open courses, which, you know, it, it could be done. I would have to adjust it a certain way, but a lot of it's just schedule scheduling as sure. well. You Understa know, understand, um, understandable. No. Uh, and there's guys like you, I know you, you, you do a lot of teaching still mm -hmm. too, right? Yes, mm -hmm. I do. Yeah. So there's guys like you and other guys out there that, that really have put together a good POI for, you know, the civilian, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Because it's solving their particular needs, you know, don't you know, I don't want people to think just because it's special operations that they're going to get something super magical. It's special because it links to that community's needs yeah. more so than anybody else's needs. You that know, makes sense. Um, mm -hmm. and, and there, there is there is a lot of bleed over form, but um, it's a, it's a different POI, you know. Yeah, definitely. Um, definitely. That makes sense. Yeah. You know, for their mission. All right, man. Uh, and where I picked up, we were talking about the dagger. And the uh, the cord, the Kevlar cord, was on your in Instagram. Yeah, you know? yeah, so, exactly. And I was looking at it, and I said, "Geez, that's that's genius right there." You know, for when you're when you're just standing there in board shorts, because down here in Florida, it's everybody's in shorts. You know, and if no, you carry well, concealed, you're you're printing. You know, so that's another option. It's a perfect option. I, I'm. Yeah, even though with all my martial arts background, I always have a force multiplier on me, usually a knife, but Absolutely. I don't want people to see my knife. I'm not the guy that's going to walk around with all this stuff exposed because right. they're going to up their use of force based on that, or I would on them. Absolutely. You know, sometimes guys are short because it's like, hey, I've got this gun and knife, so don't mess with me. And sometimes it works out good because people see and go, okay, maybe I won't get cocky with this dude because yeah. he's armed. They just didn't but meet then the right person. The flip side of, hey, if it does kick off, yeah. I have to protect this stuff. So if I grab a guy and I decide not to stab him in the throat right away, I may put him down and handle him. I want to be able to get to it real quick, but I don't want him grabbing it or his buddy coming up grabbing it. Right. You know, when I went to Costa Rica with my family for two weeks, I traveled everywhere with, with the dagger underneath there. And that's where I really started playing with that more and more and realizing that's one thing that this knife will do that, that none of them will do. And, even even when we were swimming around I'm like man if, if a shark gets on my kid or something i can get over there this i'm gonna freaking yeah. i'm gonna just freaking stick or even even in florida you got your gators you know yeah. what i mean you get a freaking gator latch on your leg you freaking mm -hmm. stick that right through his skull you know what i mean yeah, absolutely um and, and you can have it and, and nobody see it and if you carry it right at, at the crease of the hips it's not digging into anything you know what i mean right and if mm -hmm. it is digging because you you kind of swing to the side you want to carry a knife you got the mini there it may not, you know, bother you as much too. So, um, you know, it's, it's, uh, but you got to practice is that way. I like to hook it with the thumb and bring it halfway out. And then I'm here and the fire and the cord, when it pulls it out, will clear the, the sheath past the waistline anyway. Right. So you wanted to ride up and get caught here where it's clearing out. And now it's presented outside above the waistline when you deploy it. So then you can resheath it quicker with, with one hand, you know, it, uh, that way as well. So, um, 
But a lot of people don't realize too, when, when you're carrying all this cool equipment, is how important your sheath, your belt, how it attaches to your body based on your deployment. You know what I mean? Yep, absolutely. Um, you can have all this stuff, but if you can't get to it when you need it, you know, it's not going to help you. And a lot of times people don't see them in that situation of when they're really going to need it. They're going to be probably behind the curveball. You oh, know? sure they are. Sure. Yeah, we've seen it here in some of our uh, simulation training, you know, the way people carry mm-hmm. their firearms or they, the way they would carry a, a blade. You know, we put a trainer on there and we get them on the mat or we, we put them in a situation and they. it's cool when you're walking around, you're thinking you got it, right? But then when it hits mm-hmm. the fan, man, you, you better you better have trained it and got the reps in and getting it out and knowing that where it is is going to be the place where you're going to be able to access it the best. Absolutely. And, you know, it's great that you run scenarios. You know, scenarios are time-consuming and hard to put together, but there's mm-hmm. no better training than the task itself. Right. And people have all these ideas, but once they go to the scenario, they'll realize how their mind, their their mindset, how they reacted, and and – and they'll be more prepared and they'll make the mistakes there as opposed to when it really matters. Yep. So that's one thing, even from, for my site, peak courses, even a level one, you have to go through a full day of scenarios Perfect. and we have stuff that we run through these guys. Cause I can have the guy that this is where you hear the term. I don't want the best guy. I want the right guy. And I used to hear that from some of these, from, from this one particular unit. And I'm like, what does that mean? The best, I don't want the best guy. I want the right. Well, wouldn't the best guy be the right guy? And yeah. you started thinking about it. What they mean on paper, this guy's the best shot. He's the best athlete. He's the best fighter. Mm-hmm. He's the best at all these tasks that you can quantify on paper. Mm-hmm. But what you can't quantify is your decision-making process under stress right. in the moment and making these decisions. And that's where you get the right guy, you see? Exactly. Because he may not be the best at all these things, you know, but he always ends up coming out ahead when you actually do the task. Why is. is that? You know what I mean? Yeah. And it's because you have to train that. And scenarios are the only thing to hone that and to bring that to, to bear it besides experience, you right. know? Mm-hmm. And you've got to have that experience. And um, so by you doing the scenarios, you're, you're really helping those, those civilians out quite a bit. And um, even, even creating little slices of the whole, whole thing, you right. know what I mean? Can exactly. help too. Well, yeah. Well, we sometimes I have 30 guys in a class. I'm like, man, I only have a day. I want to run through as many scenarios. So we may do some that role play all the way out. And then we may do some to where I may end up putting something over their eyes and snatching it up. And it's right there in front of them. Deal yep. with it. Yep. You know what I mean? Yeah. Let's turn around again, cover it up, snatch it up, deal yep. with that. And then yeah. you're, you know, re- recording it. You know what I mean? And then you're playing it back to them. That's it. Because one thing you'll know too, it's important to record it. Although we don't save a lot of our recordings because mm-hmm. you don't want it used against the student, or you don't want it used against the civilian that may yeah. end up being an altercation later. It could be subpoenaed and, and then just spun wrong. So, but they will not know. And this is what I know from scenarios: you can take a guy; he's not meaning to lie, and he will look at you dead in the face. Greg, I did not do that. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. You yeah. did. Yeah, no, you did. I didn't. And Here his it is. Mind, <laughs> He will put his li- his hand on the Bible. Yeah. You can shoot me dead. I'm not lying. And he means it. Sure. And then when you see the look on his face, when you show the video to him of what he, yeah. what he actually did oh, yeah. he, or how it went down, this like, shock. Uh, he goes, man, I'm sorry. I really did. And then he's all depressed. And he'll sure. come up to you yeah. later, Greg. I wasn't trying to lie. I really didn't think. And I look up and go, I know. That's why I record it. And that's why I didn't make a big deal about it. You know what I mean? Sure. Or guys that I respect will say, Greg, it didn't happen that way. And I go, let's watch the video. 
And then I don't even That's argue it. with them. Yeah. Cause I don't want to lose them. I don't want to make them feel bad. I go, okay, sure. And I'll turn it where they can see it. And then I'm watching their face and then you just see them go, Oh crap. So, um, recording it, playing it back, analyzing yourself, analyzing the students. And you'll see a lot of common themes that, that pop up by, by doing that, you know? Yeah. But, um, absolutely. The, those are little secrets. Don't share that. That's just between you and I, mm-hmm. you know, don't, we don't want, we don't want the, any competitors to know that that's <laughs> a big secret. Yeah. <laughs> not right. that they're not listening. Yeah, right I know. Now. Right. <laughs> all right, brother. I appreciate your time, man. And, uh, all the information you gave us today and, uh, you know, I'll be in touch. I'd like to have yeah, you. I'd yeah. like to have you on again, depending on your schedule, your time, uh, so we can get a little deeper into a few other things that I want to hit with you. With that, well, hey, thank you. And you know, I don't normally get on these things, but mm-hmm. I, I respect you and what you're doing for the civilians and how you handle yourself. Um, so whatever you need, don't hesitate to reach out. Thank you, sir. I appreciate it. Yes, sir. All right, man. Have a great weekend. All right. You too. Take Thanks. care. Bye. All right. Bye. Bye.